You're listening to Arsenal Pass, a flesh and blood podcast for players by players. And all about strategy, leveling up, and the latest news in the world of Wraith. Welcome to Arsenal Pass. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to episode 145 of Arsenal Pass. Hayden Dow with Brendan Patrick, as always. And as this pod drops, I'm about to sleeve up my deck for the world premiere of Heavy Hitters in what many Brendan are calling Welcome to Wraith 2.0. And to be honest, this preview season of what we've seen so far, it kind of does look like it. And I'm super into it. Yeah, I'm interested to hear about why you think that. I mean, I've looked at the cards individually. I think I've evaluated them mostly in a vacuum. So I haven't really put the set together contextually. Uh, so it's not really evoking Welcome to Wraith vibes for me quite yet. Um, I know, of course, weapons and then the classes we're used to. That aspect is there. But in terms of gameplay, I don't see it yet. I think the most, the main thing that's taken me away from Welcome to Wraith is the new mechanics, is the tokens, because that was not something we had a lot of in Welcome to Wraith. But yeah, I'm keen to hear about why you think we'll evoke some of those uh, old gameplay patterns. Yeah, I mean, also partly it's just it's just the clickbait, right? You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> no, I I actually think so. We're the time of recording. Just to timestamp it, we are Wednesday morning my time. It's Tuesday afternoon, early evening US time. Um, so we're kind of like halfway through the well, not quite halfway through the previous season. We're into the second day. Um, and we started day one with, if you, if you haven't been keeping track, if you haven't been keeping up by now, the pod drops, basically most of the set you're about to see, because people at the world premiere are going to be posting everything. So you're going to, you're going to see the fable very soon, I think even, uh, but I think what is, yeah, what is very cool about the set, I think from what I've seen so far is just that we started with the weapons on day one, they went weapons, equipment or weapons were prior, mostly equipment on day one of the previous season. And then day two so far, we've been seeing some really cool uh, more hybrid cards we've, we've seen more class cards we've seen some of the majestics as well there's been a lot of generic uh cards we've seen today as well so we're going to go through a lot of these talk about the format from uh sorry the set from what we're seeing from just some first thoughts on uh limited which will lead into our limited review next week but also any sort of thoughts on constructed as we start to see some of these cards there are some powerful cards that have been shown um but i'm actually most excited to talk about the, the equipment because there's so much equipment mm-hmm. in the set and we're getting rare weapons and equipment for you know the the first time in uh in a set like this we've obviously seen them before in supplemental sets but not in um not in limited playable sets like this and not to this kind of fashion and yeah and then i can talk a little bit more about why i think it's welcome to Wraith 2.0 to an extent it's not mm-hmm. purely but it just there's a few things i think are gonna mean that i don't know this to me maybe is like a little bit of a, a hopefully a turning point in limited just with this how the set and it feels like revisiting some really core kind of winners from from the early days of flesh and blood i thought i saw a tweet from someone that was at the celebrational that said that there was no fabled in this set um how confident no, there, there is a fable they yeah they just didn't so um some players got early access to the sets for the celebrational event and they had like a master set but there was no fable which i was like oh what if they want to play the fable in their in their decks but i guess yeah, I think they just didn't get the fable. I think there is a fable. Yeah. Okay, okay, okay. I thought I saw a tweet that was like, oh, there's no fable in the set. And personally, I think that's great or something. Surely there's a fable. Be first set with no fable. Well, wow. I thought the post was about like, that's awesome because there's, I don't, know, I don't know. I could be wrong. I really don't go on Twitter much these days, to be honest. <laughs> uh, well, we'll have to talk about that in a second then. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's start with Weeks in Flesh and Blood. Brendan, what's been happening for you? You know, we're about to hit heavy hitters, so I imagine from next week you're going to start playing some Flesh and Blood. Yeah, so I uh, 
Tark reached out to me yesterday for LA, and then I messaged Sasha as well. Mr. Tark Patel. Yes. Uh, I messaged Sasha, and I was like, can you just please come to LA? And he was like, okay. I've been trying. No, no, he said, okay. <laughs> I think he's going to come. Oh, really? What? Yeah, Why did yeah. he say yes to you, but not to me? Because it's a cry for help. That's, that's where I was yeah. at. I was like, can that's you just please come to this fucking tournament? Um, yeah, I just, I just really enjoy testing with Sasha, and- I don't know. I've just done it for like every single tournament. So that's why I was like, can, yep. you, can you just please come to this? God damn it. <laughs> so he, I have a call with him, I think after this and yeah, hopefully I can get him out okay. the week before and we can get some actually some testing in. I'm ready to dive into it. To be honest, I would just, I would much prefer to start testing, f- you know, for LA with Sasha than just like get on Talishar and start grinding. Cause that sounds painful. Yeah. <laughs> that sounds Hey, well, you know, I'm keen to start playing some games. So yeah, our time zones are our time zones are pretty rough. <laughs> no, 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 no. no. Well, well, we we got a question asked on the um from the pod in the comments last week about now, Brendan. Someone said they were very uh, I'd say enthusiastic about their reply. They said, Brendan, now that you are back to playing, they they need you to produce some gameplay. They want to mm. see you well, playing some games. I will let this person know that the my gameplay. <sighs> History, um, accolades against Hayden have nothing to do with play skill. <laughs> me He's playing retiring the, on top. Yeah, me playing the game more or less has nothing to do with me beating Hayden on camera. It just happens for some reason. I don't know. Happens a lot. <laughs> yeah. Happens a lot. Yeah, especially um, in Dynasty. That was bad. <laughs> yeah, we don't talk about that. <laughs> yeah, I'm looking forward to... I mean, I'm going to play Flesh and Blood on Friday. So, the, the day this pod drops, this will be my first time playing Flesh and Blood in... Basically, since Worlds, I haven't really played much um, Fab. You know, I've been obviously keeping up, very invested in the previous season, uh, and you've been making, of course, content and, and staying abreast of it. Uh, but I haven't really played any Flesh and Blood since Worlds, so I'm super excited to get into it this weekend. Start with the premiere, playing some Sealed. Going to try and play a couple of Sealed events on the Friday, and of course, the Calling. Heavy hitters Calling on Saturday. I I feel like my my ego can't face missing another day two, Brendan. So I'm gonna try my best to make sure I, I day two. I'm not particularly good at, at limited callings, just historically as much as I love limited. I need to get to that draft portion. That's where I really need to get to. Sealed yeah. is it's not my friend. I don't know if anybody actually is like, yeah, sealed is my is my strong suit in in flesh and blood. So uh it's a bit of a crapshoot. Sometimes depends on the set. You know, maybe this set is a little bit better for it. I felt like Welcome Trade is a fine sealed format. Um, if this is Welcome to Wraith-esque set, but who knows? Mm-hmm. We will see. Anyway, Hayden, talk to me about this other headline you have here for your week in Flesh and Blood. Yeah, I've been playing some Magic. Magic mm-hmm. the Gathering. So, we immediately have Temps and Valisons just turning off, but, you know, Flesh and Blood down uh, down season, I haven't played Magic in years. I, I went to a Magic event for the first time in, I, I think it must be four years. Uh, I went to a draft, so they released this. They've been doing these like remastered sets for Magic: The Gathering, and they've remastered or they've like taken the collation of like some of my favorite sets into like a one master set uh, of which is Ravnica, which I just absolutely loved when I played the original um, Guilds of Ravnica. And so I was like, wow, I want to, and it's not on Arena, which is actually the mm-hmm. thing that made me. So Arena is the digital client for Magic: The Gathering. If you're not aware, um, I absolutely despise playing digital card games really like it's just not my thing so usually i don't the one of the other things that's kind of turned me off um going and playing limited for magic as much as i still really enjoy playing drafts and things like that is the fact that you show up and these people have been grinding out for two weeks before the set releases on yep. on their online clients and they're so far ahead and i'm just like oh this is just kind of boring and not that fun because people have already solved it or they're so far ahead but <laughs> this like set flesh is and blood for the calling wow <laughs> <laughs> <Come> on, <dude. laughs> but um <clears throat> 
but the this is paper only the set so on um on friday evening i went out to to a local draft and um played magic for the first time and look i thoroughly enjoyed the draft i really didn't enjoy the game that's that so funny <laughs> that is exactly the experience we had in barcelona when drafting the new ixalan set is the draft is i'm just awesome. gonna it's almost objectively more interesting than flesh and blood draft and it is. uh yeah, yeah. It is. But the gameplay sucks ass. Gameplay's <laughs> way worse. Yeah, it's so tedious. It's um, you know, it's I'm sure it's fun in certain contexts, but it, it was not fun for Ixalan, at least for me. Um, yeah, Magic. That so the Ravnica remastered set is that mm-hmm. all of the guild houses or like how does that yeah, work? Yeah, so <clears throat> it's the three Rev sets. So the guilds of Ravnica block, the Return to Ravnica, and the um, is it the Ravnica uh, guilds of Ravnica? Yeah, City of Guilds, Guilds of Ravnica, and the um, return to replica those three blocks it's like 300 odd cards they've taken the best from those sets a couple of cards from other sets and basically but almost all the mechanics from rav blocks are in there as well so um, there's a lot of mechanics in magic if you don't play magic but anyway i felt it's enough about magic but i had a good time i had one interesting game of my seven games but for the most part it was kind of it was fine it was yeah fine. well i mean if you ever get the magic itch you should just go play lorcana it's like magic but it doesn't suck yeah, I might. If I can ever find cards anywhere. Yeah, you should be able to now. It's uh, it's actually... It's quite- still been tough here. Still been tough here. Yeah, that's, um, that's how it works down all right. there. Let's get into the news. Heavy Hitters preview season is in full swing, as we said. We're at the time of recording about almost halfway through the season. Uh, and by the time this pod drops, the preview season would have wrapped up. Super excited to kind of hear what people think about the season. Like, how did you find the pacing? How did you find what you were seeing? Um it felt like we got the mechanics really early. You know, we got the mechanics really, really early this time. So did that still keep people really invested in the season? I don't know. I've I've been really busy with kind of um usually with the previous season, I'm like every hour I check, you know, the Discord or whatever yeah. to see the new cards. But just with work and stuff I haven't been able to. So I'm kinda of doing like a, a download every day at the end of the day. But um yeah, I'd be keen to hear how people have found this previous season and, and mm-hmm. how Alice's have handled it. Well, I wish they would stretch it out. Um, I think I think Flesh and Blood has one of the worst preview seasons out of any card game that exists. Really? Yeah, where it's compressed into the two days. It's like it's it's it's. I think it's it works for a very niche group of people that are want to digest all that information kind of at mm-hmm. once. Um, but I don't know. I feel like drawing it out over a couple months is way more interesting. And as a player, you sort of build a story and a narrative like over these you know, 30, 60 days and you continually get more pieces and then you just fit the puzzle together. I like that so mm-hmm. much more than this like two-day blitz because when they have the two-day blitz, unless I'm hyper invested in the format, which I am every single time because we have to do limited set reviews, it's just like I would just rather not read it. I'm just like, oh, I'll just, I'll just look at it at a pre-release or something or watch a video or something like that. It's just it's a lot of information to digest and I don't think I fully appreciate every single card that comes out. What about with the, you know, the last couple of seasons, particularly this one where heroes and some spec cards and a few different cards. like we got about 40 cards shown between heroes cards tokens before we even got to the season like is that i, I kind of like that step but in yeah, the right maybe, direction maybe, yeah yeah i think four it's currently three days it's not two days it's three mm-hmm. days but i think i think four days feels about right i feel like the friday the saturday the sunday and then maybe another day that's not connected to that kind of weekend i think would be great but yeah for me it's I, like kind of 30 it. days <laughs> i would like to see like 30 days it slowly trickle i up. get disengaged at that point i get disengaged I so i think it go both ways but mm-hmm. i see i see your point i see your point um 
will premiere this weekend, pre-release next weekend, which is the 26th uh, to the 28th. And then the following weekend is the release of Heavy Hitters. So uh, enjoy, get out. We will have our limited review hitting next week. We will try and drop that as early as possible, Brendan. I think we're going to try and record that your Monday, my Tuesday, if possible, and then try and get that up basically, you know, as soon as as soon as uh our editors can yeah and you'll you will have played the set as well which is uh it makes a big difference yes i mean i would play the set quite a bit so <laughs> the time we get to the limited i feel like review. this it's one gonna, this one's gonna, gonna be, be your, be your best limited review well if it's not that's awkward yeah. <laughs> um but it'll be interesting to see the contrast between our thoughts you know i think our discussion will look quite different on this limited set review it's going to sure. be a little bit different to our usual ones um mm. so i'm looking forward to it all right do you want to do you want to talk about this? We're in the news. Do you want to talk about the celebrational and the event this weekend? By the way, make sure to check out the coverage this weekend if you're around for uh, the heavy hitters world premiere and the calling. That is, there is coverage for that uh, done by Savage Feeds. You can check that out. I think that is on the Flesh and Blood YouTube page. There is also the celebrational event happening, Brendan. And I guess let's touch on it. Um, this kind of discourse around Alice is making the decision to give the celebrational players the access to. The heavy hitters master set a few days before uh the calling has has caused some people to say you know is this the right decision to have players able to access effectively a full set early um from you know an advantage standpoint from a competitive integrity standpoint there's kind of been some questions that have been raised and i know there's been just to just to clarify this has been a big discussion on x twitter whatever mm. um and and mostly honestly it's been i would say competitive players saying Mm, you know unsure about the competitive integrity here and could Alice have done a, a better job with how they handled this in terms of the scheduling uh nothing by the way has been said there were some people saying oh this is you know a, a bit mean to the players and unfair to the players i don't think anyone said anything about the the players like it, it just this isn't on them in whatsoever shape or form i think this is about Alice and their decision um this has nothing to do with the, the players and the celebrational event um but uh, yeah it has been a discourse that is happening this week around Early access to cards is the first time we've kind of seen it. And yeah, some people have obviously been caught off guard about maybe competitive integrity of, of allowing players that will be playing an event potentially some advantage. Well, maybe they could start recording drafts since they're being more flexible <laughs> on competitive integrity. Um, no, no, we can't. Because of in competitive integrity reasons, we can't record the draft. Yeah, so that, that was a little meme that I wrote in our group chat because it's, it's a bit ironic. Um, for me... I think I have like one of the worst uh, interpretations responses to this thing. Um, I think it's an objective competitive advantage. Like if you argue against that, I think it's pretty silly. Uh, but ultimately, I just don't care. <laughs> I just don't care at all. And that's not just because if I was going to the tournament, I still wouldn't really care. Um, I don't know if that's because I'm jaded and, you know, this is like one of many decisions I maybe haven't agreed with or I was like, oh, that's kind of funky. But I think to really blow it out of proportion and hyper-focus on it, it's just like, dude, whatever. It doesn't really matter. It's a competitive advantage, yes, but players get infinite, infinite competitive advantages at mm -hmm. any tournament. You could be like, oh, this player has more disposable time. Competitive advantage. This player has better access to resources to travel. Competitive advantage. This player has technology. Competitive advantage. It's just like... It's like, it, it does come from the publisher, this one directly, but ultimately mm. these tournaments are not 100% 
fair to begin with. I know that like, you know, probably the unfairness should not be being handed down from the publisher itself. It maybe could have been handled differently, but I just don't care. It's a minor one at that. It's going to very, very, a very, very small set of players. Um, yeah, people will probably be pissed if one of those players wins or even top eights, but if not, it's like everybody's just going to forget about it. And it's just the next thing that Fab Twitter is going to, you know, rage about. And that's what I don't know. Ultimately, my answer was just like, I genuinely couldn't care less. Fair, fair. I thought it was worth us sort of addressing because um, my, my, my gut reaction when I kind of saw was like, I was definitely annoyed. I was like, like, just why why this decision? There's so many ways you could do, you know, make sure that the, the celebration players have access to these cards early without this need for this discourse or reaction because you could just make it so that uh, you just shifted the season, like the previous season to three days earlier, for instance. And I, I had heard that Alice felt they couldn't do that for whatever reason is what it is but um that was kind of my initial reaction and then to be honest my reaction after that was just like the discourse on twitter is just so toxic and mm-hmm. honestly like it's mostly from yeah <laughs> unfortunately the side of like so a couple of players who who sort of like post and go like feel like this maybe isn't the right decision this feels a little bit unfair competitive integrity and then just the comments being like you're attacking the players and you're doing this yeah. and you're doing that i'm just like oh i feel on. bad i just can't players. deal with like, that shit the players are I do, invited, I do. it's like- not it's not yeah. yeah, they're not. I feel like they're not even getting shit. But it's just like I would be so no. annoyed if I was in their position. I was just like, I would just feel. Who would like you be annoyed I, at? I would just be annoyed at the situation. I would just think it would be. Yeah, yeah. It was just incredibly stupid that I was put in the situation and that you know everybody's complaining. I probably would not play the calling. I'd probably be like, okay, I'm just gonna go hang out in wherever location. That's <sighs> nah. Because it's dude. It's just like. I don't know. This these kind of things can be avoided. Like I said, I genuinely think it's not a big deal, and that people are you know probably a bit more angry than they should be but at the end of the day it's just like this is an obvious conflict of interest and i don't know why they created a situation where this occurred in the first place it was very short i would hate to be in the situation yeah Yeah, i would hate to be in the situation at the very least the very least this was incredibly short-sighted it was just like even Mm -hmm. if even if lss was like we're okay with this it's a small competitive advantage they'll get over it I think that's a fine approach, by the way. Um, you put the players that you invited to your celebration in this like really awkward position. And I think that that's like, yeah. that's the big offense is like they invited these people out and now these people are like, uh, okay, are we <laughs> like the villains of flesh and blood here? Like, what are we <laughs> supposed to do? Um, it's just, it's a bad situation. I, w- yeah. I think LSS should have handled it uh, a bit more strategically. But again, I genuinely don't care about the small competitive advantage that these very small amount of players are getting. I agree. I feel yeah. the same. I, I I think it's 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 really unfair to the players to a degree. I think uh, to be clear, I've not seen anything saying about the players or to be honest, like having taking issue with with the players. It's it's being directed at, at LSS, but you know people's interpretation, the way people read through these things and comment on you know things get lost in translation. Twitter's not a good place for discourse, really, is it? Um, anyway, yada yada yada. But I think if I was I was thinking about it, it's like if I was in that situation, like I actually would feel it's really tough because you get given access to the set. You probably, you know, if, if for me, I have like friends attending the calling and honestly, like as a competitive player who wants to take competitive advantages, whether that's extra time, resources dedicated to it, being able to play with the best players in the world, all these sorts of things, access to card information early is like a competitive advantage. And just to be put in that situation or to potentially even have like my integrity scrutinized, regardless yeah. of whether I decided to share that information with my friends or not, like that is, that is yeah. it's just a shit well, spot to be in. Let's so. be real. The the real, the real fiasco that 
could and I'm, this didn't happen i don't know shit but the real fiasco here is like one of these players like going to their testing group and just like also giving out or going to some you know, select group of players and also giving out the entire information and it's like mm-hmm. there's a huge asymmetry on like what some players have and what some players don't and like these situations all although they don't exist in reality yet or maybe ever will the yeah, possibility yeah. the possibility of them should not have been like it shouldn't have been a thing in the first place and LSS just definitely yeah. dropped the ball there. Although like one thing I want to say is like any negativity around the celebration in my opinion is super cringe. Like whether you're jealous that you weren't invited, uh whether you're angry that they gave the cards out early, like to be negative about that, any of that is just kind of cringe because like from LSS's point of view, they try to do something special. Yeah. And I know everybody doesn't agree with like who was invited, who wasn't or like whatever but to for this the end for the end result of this entire thing to be like all this negative sentiment and like jaded people that's cringe like you should just look at the look at the bright side of it you know some people got so that what other word can you use like no no i just some people got it is it is some people like this is overall a positive experience for the game they finally get to put in their celebration legendary students worked very Mm -hmm. hard to get to a place where they could even do this it's a cool thing just like shut the fuck up about the negative stuff and just like let it happen like the, I, I wasn't invited do you think that that made me feel amazing no but you have to like let those things go and just like appreciate the positive things that are happening because it's good for the game it's good for the publisher it's good for the players it's good for overall it's positive and um yep. yeah i just think you just gotta you just gotta reframe it yep i think good to to bring it up and i know there's some people who wouldn't be aware so um, yeah, we can leave it at that. The Commander Cookout. I want to move on to the Commander Cookout. Uh, the past couple of weeks, we've definitely gone to some great questions and comments in the YouTube section of the uh, the pod. This week, I've pulled out a question from our Discord, actually, which is a, a bit more of an in-depth question. So I want to dive into this, Brendan, and, and um, have a little bit of a discussion because I think this is something that we continue to revisit with every new set, and it doesn't seem to change. Mm-hmm. And I think this is a, this is a question. So this comes from... Uh, Krusenstein from our Discord and says, is it possible that we get a deep dive on why yellows suck? In quotation marks. There are a couple of assumptions I'd state and appreciate an explanation of why they're wrong. So uh, this individual's asked us a question. They've made a bunch of statements and they want us to either, you know, disagree or agree with these these statements, I guess. And we'll we'll go through them one by one. So I'll read them out, Brendan. We can talk about kind of why yellows suck. Unless you want to say anything, first of all, about just why yellows suck. Or maybe we can go through these and then we can wrap it up. Well, they're not flexible. Um, like the modality of a yellow is just like it's the jack of all trades, like Master of Honor. It just does everything worse than its blue counterpart or its red counterpart in almost every single scenario in Flesh and Blood outside of hyper synergistic things like Luminaris, Bolton, um, etc. Like your blue cards are your resource. You would never want your yellow card to be a resource card and you would never want it to be an attacking card. You would always prefer that the attacking card be re- a red version of the yellow. Yeah. You would always prefer that the resource version of that card would be a blue. So they just exist in this middle ground where they're just, they are genuinely terrible if their red and blue counterparts exist. And I think that if yellows are being played in a deck, when there is a cycle of that card, it's a good indication or it can be a leading indicator that that card is actually overpowered. Because like if you're ever playing the yellow version of a card, it's kind of dubious, unless it's a majestic super or something like that. Yeah, I think about cards okay. like Plunder Run, right? 
Yeah, well, you need to get to nine copies because the card's so powerful. Yeah, it's like if someone is playing the yellow version of a cycle, or if a deck is playing the yellow version of a cycle, it is not 100%, but it is a leading indicator that that card is just overpowered because you're playing the the most suboptimal version of the of the card. There's definitely been times where I've played yellows over reds, for instance. So, like, because there are some cards that just, I think, function better because the resource is more relevant. So, if you go, if you look at a red, a blue, and a yellow of a cycle... The defense value is the same, right? Mm-hmm. The the you generally, if it's a, an attack action, the attack value is obviously different. But in non-attack actions, it's usually a scaling return, right? And one I'll use is like Mavrian Skies. Yep. So the the go again effect is symmetric across all of those, right? But then you have the scaling, create one rune chant, two rune chant, three rune chant as you go blue to red, and that that percentage of what the changes is really small on the cards. So I think blue and then yellow tend to be the stronger colors of of that as opposed to red because of you get the the flexibility of that extra resource red versus yellow is actually more important when the percentage of the change of the uh, effect is is so much smaller yeah. comparative to other cards that's interesting because my experience is always playing nine moth which is why the yellows made it in there but yeah. i actually think that <laughs> rather than using it for its offensive value or making the comparison to the offensive value when talking about red versus yellow and yellow being you know comparable for one reason or another is like when ice exists in the game like you can make an argument an argument and i think it would be a, a false argument that like oh i can my my deck can actually utilize yellow resource cards because so many things cost two my weapon costs two um you know like yellow is actually working my deck but back when ice existed in the game it further made that not correct right because all of these things that cost two that would make yellows pl- mm. like playable as resource cards you now have the threat of the additional resource and blues are just objectively better in almost every scenario i think like reinar is a card reinar is a hero that uses a lot of yellows but that's because of the six attack like yeah. if there were blue variants <laughs> there were sixes um even if they costed way more to actually play you would you would play those cards like they're just better yeah let's let's go through these uh the part of the question that was given to us so consistency you talk a lot about consistency in decks and why it is good and fab wouldn't a deck full of yellows be the most consistent resource base you can create given the right mm-hmm. cost resource ratio setup do you think that yellows would be stronger regarding the resource base if shuffling and fab had true randomness we know that even without any bad intention by players shuffling in card games does not create true randomness and there are techniques like pitch stacking that support a favorable distribution of cards for the player just that last part yes humans are notoriously terrible at randomization but for the most part it's enough that randomization occurs i think so i I think we can we can leave that part alone but in terms of the consistency i mean it is more consistent it's more consistently shit (laughs) (laughs) it's the problem definitely is more consistent it's just consistently bad yes i mean the, the problem is so let's let's take an example let's say you have a a an attack action it costs two and it blue and it defends for three and it blue it attacks for four yellow it attacks for five red attacks for six it's called brutal assault uh dante delfico special as some of us like to call it um that is that is the card in question so if you had all your deck full of yellow brutal assaults yes you could consistently always block with two cards and attack with your your yellow for five right but that's 11 value out of your hand two cards that defend for three equals six and then pitch your other yellow for your attack for five that's 11 that's worse than just defending with four blues Mm-hmm. And then your blues could, or it's worse than defend with three cards and swing with your Anathos for four, which is 13 value. So the, the problem with like, yes, it's consistent, but it's not consistently good. It's just, you know, you could say the same thing about having replaced those with yellows and now they're blues, but put a weapon in the mix mm-hmm. or just defend with all the cards and your return is going to be better anyway. So that's the problem with, I guess, this view of like the consistency of yellows and the the mode they play off between power and resources that 
they're, they're they might be jack of all, but they're certainly master of none, and mm. and that's really important in flesh and blood. So if anybody, I just want to qu- quickly tangent. If anybody doesn't know the Arsenal pass lore on Brutal Assault, um, <laughs> it's a meme on Dante Del Fico, who was somewhat of a inf- infamous, I don't know, famous infamous player back in the early days of skirmish. Played a lot of Ira, won a lot. Um, when Drone of Brutality got banned, his his substitute card for Drone of Brutality, by the way, was Brutal Assault, which is Drone of Brutality with no text. Uh, yeah, it was just bad. It was not a good option. I'll say that. Played that in a competitive tournament. <laughs> Do you know what other people replaced it with? Push the point. Yeah. This like any any honestly <laughs> any card is better than yeah. real assault. Hurricane technique. Anyway, uh so I think that answers that question. Average card value, this is the next part of this question. If games would go through multiple cycles and we assume that you had to use blues for attacks, etc., wouldn't the average card value between a full yellow and a red slash blue gravitate towards the same number? Um well no, because all the cards defend for three right and you're never attacking with your whole hand and if you're attacking with your whole hand it's better to have a your perfect resource and then your perfect attack balance split so if you can have so the, the question here is right it's okay if everything's yellow and we use the same example we just used well that would mean that you know the average card value you're always averaging out to 11 in those hands but we just talked about because of the defensive value if you just block with everything you're averaging out to 12 or you attacked with your weapon plus defending with three cards you're averaging out to 13 if it's an anathos or a romping club or whatever yeah so very consistent consistently 11 <laughs> like you can't which is consistently <laughs> below rate yes <laughs> yeah yeah so this is kind of i think honestly this is, these are some great statements because i think this we can really paint a picture of why yellows are so terrible honestly and and the real problem with yellows shines and limited um i think because of because of this average value but yeah average card value is is not higher because of yellows it's not even the same because of yellows it's just worse than if you're you have a deck full of blues and reds Mm -hmm. honestly yellows like if if we didn't have majestics and supers that were yellows um i would actually i would honestly question why they exist in flesh and blood at all and i think it is for Mm -hmm. limited to be honest i think they add more May potentially more depth to the limited format because they're I think I don't know they add more variety as you go from draft to draft. But in constructed, yeah, I mean limited or not limited yellow design and flesh and blood is definitely odd. We have seen the amount of li- yellows drop over sets. You know, we yep. look back to Welcome to Wraith, Arcane Raising, um, uh, Monarch, Tales of Ari, Like there was more yellows, and then we we go to Uprising. You have red only cards. You know the red matter stuff starts to come in. I think they've tried. You know they've done cycles that don't have the yellow or the blue, or they don't have. You know they're only single single color cycles. <clears throat> I think those are really interesting ways to reduce the amount of yellows. But ultimately, you know, you just kind of speculate around why we have yellows for limited. I, I think we could just not. We could just have a lot less, and I think that would that would. Yeah, because I think they want that. Last- very, it, it adds variance, right? Like it that's, does add that's the vec- the yellow. Yeah, the vector is like uh, just variance, and not 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 necessarily good variance, <laughs> but it does add still variance. Some skill interpretation. Yeah, yeah. There's still some skill interpretation about which are the best yellows. How do you utilize your yellows? Like there is some of that. Um, but yeah, so if you let's example, you've got your your four brutal assaults, or you've got your you know your two blue brutal assaults and your two red brutal assaults, or you know half your decks red, half your decks blue, then. You have the option to defend with all those cards, or you could defend with two of them, and then you know one red, one blue. Pitch your other blue brutal assault, attack with your red brutal assault. We're we're above that eleven that we just talked about. We're now twelve, so just a combination. And yes, there's consistency issues that can come in with that, but again, these all defend for three. So like the power vector. So if we take <clears throat> let's take the brutal assault example, right? And we compare blue, yellow, and red. At red, we have effectively. You know, all these cards defend for three, so the defense is the same. We can leave that out. But then you're getting plus one attack for minus one resource. On the blue side of it versus the yellow, you're getting minus one attack, but plus one resource. 
But the problem is you always want to maximize your resources. That one resource is so valuable and that one attack is just better. So you want to have the combination of blues and reds, not not the yellows, like the, the consistency, the power trade-off. It just, it just doesn't make sense, unfortunately. Um, let's go to this last, this last couple. Blue card design. When we compare red-blue de- attack reactions with red-blue attack, non-attack actions, do you consider it a design flaw that blue attack slash non-attack action cards have less attack value instead of less block value? Um, I think that's a great, that's a great question. Could, could Alice and Design Future play around with the defensive value of cycles of cards? Because that is kind of one of the problems that we've just explained with yellow is that like, well, all these cards defend for three or they all defend for two, whatever. They have the same defensive value. So at that point, you know, you're now just looking at the pitch value and the attack value. Yeah. Could they experiment with it? Um, they could. I don't think they should. Um, I'm not sure how, how confusing it would be to players, but it's a significant non-zero amount and probably mm-hmm. adds enough of a burden to the new or in, in, or intermediate yeah. player experience that it's not worth it. Um, unless we find that the current way block values are balanced on cycles of cards is just like so detrimental to design that we can never escape this uh, the confines of it. Mm-hmm. And then this last part of the question is breakpoints. Red defense reactions seem to be very good because they can cover breakpoints. Of course, a lot of defensive reactions at red, sink below Favacine, defend for four. Um, and we know how good breakpoints are in flesh and blood because of on hit effects, but also, you know, immovable for seven, etc. Um, are yellows better or more acceptable, at least, in a class like Warrior that has access to a lot of armor, given the games are short to medium length? And the problem with that is that you lose uh potential value on your armor so if you're now having to use your armor to cover up breakpoints because you're playing yellow cards you're just you've just used your you're disadvantaging yourself with the use of your armor why not just play a red card in there because you're going to defend with it anyway if it's a defense reaction so yellow defense reactions i think are among honestly the weakest of of yellow cards unfortunately except for maybe sprinkled somersault because that card's cool and it can defend for four yep that card is also above right i mean that card is effectively exactly, exactly. it can it's, be above right yeah i mean like, yeah, it's kind of above rate in the way Wounded Bull is. We're only supposed to play it in one way, which yeah. is from your arsenal. But uh, yeah, I mean, that card just functions as a red. It just happens to be yellow. It's kind of an outlier. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Uh, but yeah, you're right. In terms of uh, covering breakpoints, you, you would... In, uh, I, I can't imagine a scenario where you wouldn't rather just block with the defense reaction than block with the defense reaction plus armor, even if you had the trade-off of the additional resource as sort of like a modality on the card if you wanted to pitch it. You'd rather be pitching mm-hmm. a blue, and if you're defending, in this case, it's a defense reaction, you'd rather just be defending with the card. Yeah. Cool. Well, that's our thank you to Krusenstein for being a uh, associate producer on our thesis of why yellows are pretty shit in flesh and blood, yeah. uh, and being able to explain that in a, in a nice kind of broken down way. I hope that kind of... I'd love to hear feedback on that kind of question. I thought it was a great question, So, and I, that's why I wanted us to address it. I have a question. Because um, I think it was, it was well laid out. Okay, go. I mean, do yellows even have a place in flesh and blood? Should they, should, what, could, should they, could they uh, actually get rid of yellows in, in the game design? Let's say that we had a fully rotating format, right? So it, you yeah, don't have yeah. this burden of previous yellows. Fully rotates. Um, like, does flesh and blood actually need yellows in a cycle? Do they even make sense? Yes. I, I, to a degree, yes. I, I think they do make sense for, I think yellows are really interesting. I think there's there's areas of design where they can leverage yellow. So obviously the the classic example is Luminaris and Prism. Like that's you know that they're using yellows for a particular reason. But I th- and we're going to see it with Kasai now, right? As well. Um, but I think there is there are some interesting ways they can interact with yellows, and I think that's what makes yellows interesting. I think having some number of yellows in a limited set, like you kind of talked about before, from like a variant standpoint. But I also think from um, a kind of 
skill standpoint, how do you deck build with these yellows? How do you draft with the knowledge that you're going to have to have some yellows in your deck if you want to compete in a hero or a particular archetype, class, etc.? I think that's interesting. I just think that, you know, there is a scope to potentially have less yellows in a set and kind of make the, you know, use them as a design feature rather than a, a guaranteed, oh, you have yellows in the cycle and live with it kind of thing. I think it could be more of a, a, a design factor, I think. I like, it, uh, I like it as a way to tone down the power of uh, majestic cards that aren't mm -hmm. only powerful because of some number value. Like, in my opinion, um, a card like Aether Wildfire, I think it doesn't make sense based on the equation or the quantitative design of the card. That's why it's red and it deals the damage it deals. But Aether Wildfire is absolutely a card that could have been yellow. Um, like, I think that mm -hmm. would... That but would, imagine if Sonic Boom was red. Oh, See, that, point. exactly that be, yeah that would be op yeah. but you're assuming that it gets the uh, and the additional damage like i think that they could have you know it goes outside of their design framework because everything mm -hmm. is so structured based off this uh this equation but like these super powerful cards um that exist at majestic or super i think that they can make them yellows and they can have above rate values but they just don't have this additional modality um yeah, being pitched. So like Aether Wildfire could have been like a yellow. I, that'd probably just make the. I mean, that would just make the card better. Uh, right now, unless we'd have to deal three damage. Yeah, we have to deal three damage. But that might have been. Because a framework, be like you say, right? For some of these cards, yeah, the framework. I, the framework is. Uh, I don't want to go too deep down the rabbit hole, but the framework is. Uh, I had another question come up while I was thinking about that. Is like, should Flesh and Blood continue to design uh, cards in a way that are so strict to the framework, or should they stretch design more to sort of go outside the box of that? Whether it is, you know, maybe making some cards, you know, above or below that framework's value, or adding on these like extra clauses to cards that aren't necessarily quantitative in nature. Like, they have. Yeah, you think so? They have. They've done that. They've done that. Yeah, 100% they've done that. You can yeah, see cards have. that, yeah, I mean, you can look at the Codex cycle, right? Yep. You can look at um, even Springboard Somersault we just talked about. That's from the very first set of Flesh and Blood, and that kind of does to a degree yep. break out of the framework, but it has an F and or clause trigger to it, right? Mm -hmm. So I was thinking about Springboard Somersault. Um, it is effectively, because we were talking about it as a yellow, but it's effectively a majestic, right? Because it doesn't have a red or blue counterpart. We, we still need red yellow. energy potion. That's what we need. No, we don't. <laughs> but there's a reason. So that's a good. That's a good example, right? There's a reason why we'll never see some cycles of some cards because they just wouldn't make sense. They might not. They might fit into the framework, but from a um, a a power level of what they could do with in interaction with other things, or because of the design of the game, you just you just wouldn't print them, right? So let's use Swing Big for example. If you printed that as a cycle and you had Blue Swing Big, because we know how that interacts with Brute and the discard effect and the consistency of Blues, like you just can't have that. So there's a few reasons why we couldn't have cycles of particular things. Um, but even if they would necessarily, they could potentially fit in the framework. It just wouldn't make sense. So let's um let's move on. <laughs> We've got some previews to talk about with in the full swing of preview season. I want to go through some things that just cards we haven't touched on in the last few weeks, and I'll kind of want to go a little bit sequentially through some of the releases we've seen, Brendan. And I think the first thing I want to talk about is we've seen a lot of the weapons now. I think there's a couple. I think there might be the brute token we haven't seen yet. Uh, but for the most part, we've seen a lot of the weapons at the rare cycle now. So, um, for instance, we saw <laughs> some great names in the set. Yeah, the what's way. with all the innuendo? Uh, it's like, <laughs> it's really on the nose. 
Uh, let's start with Ball Breaker, yeah? So, Ball Breaker is a, a rare brute weapon. It's a flail. It's a one-handed. It's a once per turn attack action. Uh, once per turn action, sorry. Two resources attack. And it says if you've discarded a card with six or more attack this turn, it gets plus one. And it has three base attacks. So, if you attack with it and you've discarded a card with six or more, it's going to have four. It's kind of like a mini romping club, right? Yeah. Like it, but, it's, one but it's one-handed. So, you can play it with Claw, yeah. for instance, and Less Constructed, which... I'm kind of a little bit excited about the potential of that. You can also play with KO. Um, quickly, yes. before we dive into the card a little bit more, tell me about, talk to me about the etymology of ball breaker. Like, it's a flail, there's a ball in the end, but what balls are we breaking? Like, I just, I don't understand unless this is a sec, like a reference to testicles. Like, it just doesn't make any sense to me because I'm looking at the art and you're not breaking any balls. It's, it's a flail with a ball in the end, but ball breaker seems like it was meant to be kind of a meme. I don't know. Well, yeah, I mean, I guess ball breaker, like the the term means like, you know, like taskmaster or like someone who runs, a, you know, demanding whatever it is. So, maybe it's just the, the references that way. I don't know. But that like, does uh, also reference yeah. testicles. The design team had a bit of fun with this set. Like well, hey, mini meat axe. Like, what the fuck? Wait till oh, we get yeah. down further. Yeah. What do you What do you think? Let's talk about the cards. What do you think of? I I, I think this card, first of all, yeah. limited Im- implication of these rare weapons. We talked about this last week. I really like having rare weapons. The kind of theme of the the, the arena and the battlefield. I think this is really cool. Um, you know, all these different weapons. I think this weapon, obviously, one handed implication for this current format is because of KO, right? But also, this does mean for uh, our dear friend. Reinar Unlimited, you know, you could play Mini Meat Axe and Ball Breaker, for instance, right? And um, Mini Meat Axe is a Brute Weapon Axe one-handed, attacks for three, uh, it's at rare, and it says once per turn action, two resources attack, and when this attacks, draw a card and then discard a random card. So if you have an Agility Token, does Agility Token trigger on um, on weapons? It does, right? I'm quickly, not sure. Quickly, Brennan, look up Agility Token. Uh, but my theory, you know, you could attack with the, the Mini Meat Axe, and then all of a sudden you've turned your Ball Breaker on, and you've done a you know a two card seven with some intimidate for instance. Um, I'm going scrolling down now aggressively to the agility attack. Team. Yes, it does. So yeah, yeah. I was making sure it's the same same as quicken. So you know, there's some cool stuff in in the set. I think, or maybe you had a, a vigor token plus the agility token, and you got to one card attack for seven and intimidate as Rhino, for instance. So obviously a little bit niche, but I just yeah, I think there's some really cool. The set looks very deep, which is sweet, and it also has constructive implications which I like as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and both of these weapons are all the weapons rare. Like, are there no like what are the token weapons? There's token weapons, yeah. yeah. So Centauri Saber, uh, we have as we've seen. Um, what are some of the other token weapons? We've seen High Riser, which we can talk about now. This is a token weapon, Guardian Weapon Hammer, one-handed, once per turn attack action, three resources attack. Um, if you've drawn a card this turn, this gets plus one attack. So if you've drawn a card. Say you've cycled a gold token, for instance, you're going to get uh, attack for four off your hammer. Uh, otherwise, it's going to be for three. So, you know, it's pretty average, right? Like it's attack for three for one card is not particularly good. But, you know, you get to attack for four. But this is the base. And so we're going to get base token weapons for every hero or every mm-hmm. class, it looks like. And then you're going to get some some draftable rare weapons where you can potentially... I think this is where we're going to see archetypes. Because some of these weapons, I think, can play... You know, we've seen... Um, What's the one that we spoke about last week? The the one that if you lose the clash, you get the minus one. Um, the Miller's Grindstone, for instance. So, which is the four, has four power, attacks for three. But if you, uh, uh, when it hits, you clash. Um, if you win, you destroy the top card of the deck. And if you, uh, if they win, then you get a minus one counter on it. So I think there's like archetypes now built around weapons for limited, which I think is cool. We haven't seen that before. Um, you know, we've seen the six heroes and you build the archetype within the hero, but now you also get the weapons to go potentially along with that, which I, th- I think is sweet. 
Yeah. So the the interesting paradigm here between ball breaker and uh high riser <laughs> so they both are coming in for four one cost two one cost three but the situations in which you satisfy the, those conditions are wildly different one is discarding a card as one is drawing a card and when you draw mm -hmm. the card you keep the card but i'm assuming that the the cards that allow you to draw cards are you've jumped through a bit more hoops than discarding something uh, i was just thinking about the scenario in terms of like swinging your weapon for four and it seems like infinitely better to have drawn a card to be able to satisfy that condition than to have discarded a card but of course Course, Plus that, one more though as well. Yeah, it depends how you're satisfying uh, said condition, which is like, what is the prerequisite? And I'm assuming drawing cards would be much harder than, you know, pay as part of cost, discard card. Let's look at the last two rare weapons, which are warrior rare weapons. So first one is hot streak. This attacks for two. It's a warrior weapon sword one-handed. It says once per turn action, one resource attack. When this is defended by one or more attack action cards, hot streaks attacks. Hot streaks attacks get go again this turn. Um, that seems very good. Yes, that is Play very good. Streaks. That is very good. Go yes, that is ve that is very good. I mean, this is one of those. This reminds me of, you know, cards like Surging Militia. Obviously, it's a bit different, mm -hmm. but it's like one of these limited cards where damned if you do, damned if you don't, in terms of blocking it. So often players just just wouldn't block things like this. But you know, if someone mm -hmm. has one Surging Militia in their deck. It's one thing to not block that, but if they're swinging, you know, a weapon at you every turn, it's a totally different kind of thing to not block the weapon. Yeah. I'm assuming that like often warrior will have to lead off with this as their main attack, and they will have they will want to do something out there. So if you don't block it, you potentially tempo them out of whatever they're planning to do for the turn. Yeah, they they drop a bunch of attack reactions or something to pump this up to like eight damage, and you know you take eight damage because you didn't block or whatever. And then your hand is a bit awkward. Yeah, that's for sure. I mean, you can also just block with non-attack actions, which do exist in the set. Um, parry blade is a warrior weapon equipment. So this is interesting. Warrior weapon equipment, Brennan, which we haven't seen too much of, and we've seen things like the mech suit before. It's a sword one-hander, defends for zero, attacks for two, and says once per turn action, one resource attack. And this gets plus two defense while defending a weapon attack, but it has blade break. So, you know, maybe you play this as your secondary weapon. Um, you find a time in the game to block out a weapon, and then you're going to lose this. But in in the interim, it can one resource attack for two. Um, it's interesting. So if you had, let's say you opened a pool and you had access to four, uh, uh, sorry, two hot streak and two parry blades, what would be your setup? So my question on hot streak, and I need to check the release notes on this. This is when this is defended by one or more attack action cards, hot streaks attacks get going in this turn. Does this refer to just the, this hot streak or does it refer to all hot streaks? Ooh, um, yeah, that's like an OG, say, yeah. Yeah, the templating's interesting. <laughs> yeah, this. we're like, this is, uh, this is like the OG flick flack gets plus four. It's like, which flick flack? Because <laughs> you could double stack. I them. would assume it's just this hot streak that each hot streak has a, you know, this is hot streak one, hot streak two. Like they have kind of yeah. layered naming conventions. If that's the case, then I'm more inclined to probably play a hot streak plus a, a parry blade, I think. But there are situations maybe where like you have these attack. We haven't seen all the cards so far. Maybe you have some non-attack actions that give your, your weapon go again. You come with the hot streak. You know, they block it and then you're like, okay, well, I attack with this other hot streak. And they're like, I don't have multiple non-attack actions to block with. So I either just take the two damage or I have to block with this card, this attack action. You get go again. And you're like, yep, my last resource, I play this attack or whatever. Um, so I think that's mm. going to be, it'll really depend on your build. And this is kind of what I talk about archetypes in limited. I think yeah. that's really interesting. So um, the reason I asked is I felt like the theoretical value you could, you would get out of a hot streak versus a power blade over the course of a game because starts to play, stays in play is much, much higher, right? Um, but I guess that Maybe. depends, right? Because you can still, you can still just 
Actually, the optimal setup might be Hot Streak plus Parryblade because you just end with Parryblade anyway, right? That if you if you do get the chance to swing your weapon, you're just going to swing uh, Parryblade at the end. Okay, yeah. So yeah, unless you have a way to get, unless you think you're going to get go multiple times, yeah. and then you get ways to utilize those resources. But yeah, I think Parryblade a lot of time, and then you get that extra two defensive value at some point if you need to. So, mm. but that might just be a trap. It might just be incorrect to play Parryblade so you don't play badly and block with it at the wrong time, and then not have the weapon <laughs> for the end game. Yeah, that's very really um, interesting. Let's talk about some of the equipment. We've seen a lot of equipment, which makes sense. Uh, this, this, there is a lot of equipment in the set. Some really powerful ones. I want to just quickly brush over some of the uh, the common stuff that we that we're going to see. I don't think there's much constructed implication through these, but I think they're really interested, interesting for limited. Um, the first I want to talk about is the adversity. Uh, cycle which there's a, a head chest arms and legs for this uh there's face adversity confront adversity embrace adversity and overcome adversity uh i'm looking at the headpiece here defense for two has blade break and says this may only defend an attack if the attacks controller has drawn a card this turn and then adversity says if they destroyed a vigor token um sorry confront embrace says if they've uh destroyed a might token and uh overcome says if they've destroyed an agility so a cycle of each but mm -hmm. blade break two conditional defense like yeah I mean, it seems good, but it's it's going to be super so, this skill testing, I think. Yeah. Like, when do you use this? When do you not? Like, I think this is a really interesting mechanic. You're evaluating these cards on two different axes, I believe. So usually when we're evaluating limited, I, I guess you always do for limited equipment. You're evaluating a piece of limited equipment of, of drafting it on other options that are available, right? Because, you know, often we'll see mm -hmm. a cycle of equipment um, and like the arm slot is way better than all the other slots because the other options for your arms are just terrible. Probably will be the same with this. And then you also have the axis of um, evaluating it based off like this condition, how likely is it to be satisfied by my opponent? If your opponent drawing a card is quite rare, then maybe, you know, Vigor tokens are just created way more often or something like that. And you're like, okay, I'm mm -hmm. actually going to be able to block with this much, much more often than I am with the headpiece. I'm more talking about like picking this in draft, like, you know, and prioritizing yep. it. So those are the two axes I'd be looking at for drafting uh, these adversity pieces. Yeah, they seem like there's got cyborg implication. I mean, you could go through a whole game and never be able to use one of these, depending on what your opponent's playing. So, yeah, I mean, we'll be giving some limited grades to these cards next week, but I think these, uh, you know, they're powerful, obviously, if you can ever get them off, but sometimes you're just going to have to get them off and then you're not going to get the kind of flexibility of keeping them till late. So, I don't know, card kind of seems like it could be good, but also could be terrible. Um, contextual. There's a couple of, yeah, there's a couple of generic equipments um, at head that we've seen that have some non-defensive values. So uh, Glory Seeker is a generic equipment head, no defensive values, says instant three resources, destroy it and draw a card. So that's gonna trigger some stuff that we've just seen with draw a card, uh, including, you know, the weapon. Um, Sheltered Cove is a generic equipment head, no defensive value, instant three resources, destroy this. The next time you would be dealt damage this turn, prevent two of that damage. That card, uh, I saw someone refer to this as Earth React at home. Uh, <laughs> fair enough, it's quite, <laughs> quite fun. Um, I think that might be Nick Butcher, actually. And then we've got some hybrid equipment that we've seen. There's there's quite a few of these, but I might just, there's just a couple that um, I saw of interest. These are kind of cycle ones. So we've got the Guardian Warrior equipment chest, defensive one. It's called Vigor Girth. There you go. Um, it's an action. It says action, destroy this, create a Vigor token, go again, and has blade break. And then, for instance, the Brute Guardian one creates a Might token, um, and that's arms. And then there's a the Legs one as well. So, yeah. <clears throat> Interesting. Yeah. And uh, I thought you might like Vigor of Girth. Well, I just don't. It's not Vigor of Girth. It's just Vigor Girth. It's just an odd naming convention. Oh, it is uh, too. <laughs> Glory, Glory Seeker really Stubby puts... hammers. Yeah. Glory Seeker really puts into perspective how OP Ragamuffin's hat is, to be honest. 
Uh, yes. Ragamuff Tat, also an instant that draws a card, but it costs zero. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So what? you can pay for it with a red effectively. Yeah. That's yeah, insane. Carving on top. Yeah. Crazy. Um, let's talk about some legendaries. Let's get into the legendaries. These are the ones I think we need to talk about. Apex Bonebreaker. This is the one I'm very excited about, Brendan. This is a brute equipment arms at legendary. Defends for two. It has temper. And it says, win this defense together with a card with six or more attack create a might token mm-hmm. so i'm reading this and i'm going okay first time i defend with it i get two value of defense and i get a might token pretend like the highest upside <clears throat> so that's worth four a three sorry and the next time i defend for one and i get another my token five so i'm like potentially five value off my equipment yeah that's it's really powerful very very good also brute's previous arm slots were bad as yeah well. you just play gambler's gloves because it was like better than playing an iron rock gauntlet effectively yeah this is like uh this is so different than that this is what I've been wanting so long. Yeah, I, I mean, that coupled with the other brute cards being printed, um, Rhino winning a Pro Tour is a wish that you might actually get. Oh, it'll be in my hands, Brandon. Don't you worry. <laughs> I was going to say. Chandler Toe's going to be smashing you on stream. Or- Dude, I'm gonna, I, I reckon I'm going to start uh, Chandler, the Patrick, the, the guys out there, the, the, the Bruters. Mm-hmm. Should we start a elite brute squad? For Proto LA, that's the question. Who is the brute that uh, expertly navigated the matchup against you at uh, Worlds in Blitz? <laughs> All right, let's move on. The card's really good. I'm excited for it. <laughs> Shout out to Zach. I mean, I like Zach. Zach's a cool dude. <laughs> but screw that game. <laughs> uh, let's look at. Um, okay, how do you say this? Is it a rum Aegis? Orum? Uh, Orum Aegis? Well, it reminds me of Rectum because you've been doing all this priming through these other namings. But yeah, Orum Aegis, I guess. Um, this is a Guardian Equipment offhand. Uh, it's at Legendary. It's a, uh, yeah, it blocks for two, Victor Specialization. This counts as gold and has Temper. Maybe this looks yeah. pretty decent. I mean, yeah. I mean, this, this is the one that, this isn't the one that immediately jumped out to me. Actually, the next one we'll talk about is the one that jumped out to me. But what are your thoughts on. Aurum Aegis. Aurum, yeah, which means gold in Latin. I just looked this up just so. Yeah, what does what does rectum mean in Latin? Yeah, no, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I, I apologize to everybody. Come on, this man. Podcast. Like, dude, Keep it what clean. the hell? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, it's an offhand, right? The offhand slot is powerful because we have these one-handed weapons. So you know, I think mo- sort of some flexibility in the offhand slot with some of these new printings is really cool obviously it's a Victor specialization but I, I think the fact that specialization the fact it's an offhand i think this has to be powerful i mean temp, temper three like let's let's compare this to um stalagmite for instance mm-hmm. same blocking values you know temper two um but this one counts as gold so you can obviously sacrifice this on the last one um to to draw a card I mean, that, that seems pretty good. I, I think this is going to be good. I think having this kind of effective gold that has some modality to it is is good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Greens. You know, for, for Victor being able to use it. Obviously, you can't just pay the resources and sack it to draw. It doesn't, you know, but you can you can use this for gold for all things that count towards gold or to sacrifice a gold for an effect. So I think it's good. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, Grains of Blood Spill. Okay, this, this one is powerful, surely. So this is a warrior equipment chest at Legendary. It's a temper two as well. So defense for two and has temper and says, whenever a weapon you control hits, you may pay a resource if you do create a Vigor token. Yeah. And a Vigor token just gives you a insane. resource. So I think so too. But why? Um, you're paying one resource to get one resource. So 
because of the threat of activation. So with Warrior, a lot of the time you're sat there with, you know, available resources and your opponent's like, okay, well, they have the attack reaction because that just makes the most sense for the resources or they would have used it on their braces of belief or whatever beforehand or the other card, the other, um, the other piece of equipment. But now you're like, okay, well, do they have the equipment or are they just are the reaction or are they just going to hit and then just net back their resource for next turn? And that is just so powerful. Like you're just, you're just not leaking value. Like a lot of the time warrior leaks value because you can't utilize your resources in the most efficient way. You don't get the return on all of your resources in a way that you might want to. But now you can actually like hold over resources while holding threat of activation of having like a reprise attack reaction or just any kind of warrior attack reaction. And I, I think that's really powerful when combined with um with the other pieces of legendary equipment that warrior already has access to interesting yeah because theoretically you're not actually cheating any resources here unless you're getting no. some sort of payoff for the token itself which is very possible mm -hmm. um cards that say if you've done something with a vigor token then satisfy this clause um and in terms of other chests that are available of course you have fennel spring tunic but you also have all oh, that courage other chest yeah courage of blade hold which does actually cheat resources so um, I think it's really interesting. Um, I think it's con it's very contextual in terms of power level. Right now, we need to see more cards that get payoff from Vigor tokens. We need to, mm. you know, see how relevant it is to do that threat of activation because that's you know that's very theoretical, right? You're talking about having these leftover resources and you know putting your opponent in a place where they're playing suboptimally to not allow the threat of activation here. So, yeah, I'm interested. But what what about like so you pair this with Iron Song versus which is the warrior equipment once per turn action one resource your next sword attack this turn gets when this hits a hero create a courage token so you can either pair it with this or the braces of belief and I think yeah there's just some interesting dynamics around threat of activation holding the resources over on hit effects whether they have the attack reaction I just think this makes warrior hard to play against while if you decide to kind of do nothing and try and play your own game they still get value or damage i i think that's good i think it just gives them more flexibility as well which i think is something they need yeah i'm just i'm currently stuck in the flesh and blood ideology or way of looking at things where i'm just looking for actually cheating res actual value actual mm -hmm. cheating resources and this just doesn't satisfy any of that um outside of temper of course but there are other options that have temper so I would I want this to be good, but until I see cards that it works with, it you know, I'd rather just have something that makes resources or actually cheats resources when like um Courage of Blade Old. Yeah, potentially. I mean Warrior does and can revolve around really big turns though as well. And I think yep. you know, being that, able to that, that's another aspect of context, yeah. I believe, right? So um I think it's possible that it could be powerful, but in a vacuum it's like very, very hard to evaluate. Yeah. Little energy potions. <laughs> Uh, and then, all right, let's talk about the big one. Balance of Justice. This is a generic equipment head. Defense for two. It's legendary. Has the keyword guard well, which I think is a terrible keyword, by the way. <laughs> but guard well says when the combat chain closes, if this defender put a minus one counter on it equal to its defense. So effectively, it's going to defend for two and then it's going to defend for zero because you defend for two and then you put two minus one counters on it, now it defends for zero, but you can defend for zero infinitely. After that, it does have zero defensive value. And it also says instant. Destroy this, draw a card. Activate this ability only if opponent has drawn two or more cards this turn. I mean, there's a lot of... So effectively, you can get your two defensive value out of this, and then you can destroy this to draw a card if your opponent draws two or more cards on a turn. Yeah, which, which is like five value, right? Like in best case scenario, you're looking at five. That's really good. That's good. I mean, but we, yeah, I mean, we talked about the brood equipment, you know, being fought. It's really good, but you're, you're talking about like, okay, if said hoop is satisfied, which is your opponent 
drawing two cards, then you get five value out of this, where if that is not satisfied, then you're getting two value out of this equipment. You know? So I think you're going to satisfy this clause. I'll get to this every time you play this card and you're going to get more than three value out of the cards you draw a lot of the time, because I think what's going to happen is your opponent's going to play an Art of War, mm-hmm. they're going to play a Blood Rush Bellows, mm-hmm. or they're going to play a three of a kind or whatever, and mm-hmm. then they're going to try and pop off with this massive turn and you're going to have an extra card to defend with. And potentially that card is going to defend a break point or that card could even be a defense reaction that you draw into. And so I think that card is actually a lot of the time going to have more than three value. Well, mm-hmm. not maybe not a lot of the time, but a reasonable amount of the time. And it's going to be on a turn that's really key for the opponent. Yeah. So I think I think I might even like in a theoretical standpoint, maybe be able to stretch this card in my mind to six value. And I, I, I think that's starting to become kind of insane. I think it's a sideline card though. Like that's... It depends on the meta, right? Depends on the meta. How many decks? Yeah. Well, so, like, if, if Brute's meta, for instance, yeah. and, you know, Ninja's meta, then eh, maybe it's just main deck. Who knows? Yeah. In- yeah, interesting. I guess if... So, in the in the scenario where all decks you were facing were, like, a high, high percent were all satisfying yeah. this clause, then I guess it would could be main deck. But in terms of, like, a flesh and blood metagame, I think it is just sideboard. Because um, you, you need to have the clause satisfied or it's... Well, let's compare this to Crown. You oh, know, geez. a card that we yeah. got to spoiler, spoil. Defense for two. Oh, Crown of And then you yeah. trade in a card, right? So you, you get no extra. So you just get two value out of it, but you get to trade in a card. And and we think that's one of the best equipments in the game, right? Well, now all of a sudden. You, yeah, you trade your arsenal a lot of the time. Yeah, of course. But that's still, you're not knitting a card from that. Whereas True. this, you are knitting a card with Brennan. So I'm just going to put it out there and, and compare yep, those fair, two. Fair, fair. This is quite powerful. But I agree. It has to, obviously, you have to be able to fulfill the effect. Otherwise, it's worse than Crown. Interesting. Interesting card. Interesting card. Yeah, I don't think it's bad. I don't want people to think, the, to think that I'm saying that it's bad. Um, yeah. But Also, yeah. you can defend for two, and because of the guard wall key mechanic, this can sit around for six or seven turns until they actually, you know, draw the cards. True. So. Okay, very cool card. Uh, how are we doing for Talent Pot? I think let's, let's cover a couple of other cards that have just been shown today. There's a couple in particular that I want to I wanna look at. Um, and of course we do have the set review next week and then the week after we will dive into first look at Classic Constructed with the new set these let's look at Knucklehead this, is this card broken? that's my question okay it's a Brute Equipment Head oh, defense yeah. for two it has sure. Temper at rare it's a KO Specialization and it has Action destroy this roll a six sided die until end of turn your base intellect is the number rolled so okay I block with this once for two I get two value of it we're talking about a headpiece here, right? And the two value. And the next turn, I'm like, oof. You know, I've blocked out this turn. I kind of have nothing to do. I roll my dice. I hit a five or a six. Yeah. I've effectively drawn a card or drawn two cards. That that seems... This card seems pretty... Obviously high risk, but like, this card could be really good. So if you draw one card... Um, yeah, you're screwed. You, <laughs> well, no, 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 no. Not hit a one. So you draw five cards. Um, your sure, your sure, intellect sure, sure. is five. Yeah. That's strong. I wouldn't say yeah. it's OP. It's, I think this card is only OP on the six. I agree. And it's also terrible if you roll a one or two or probably a three. <laughs> can you gambler's glove this? But then, so I would. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so, but there's an issue because when you gambler's glove it, you go down, you go down a card, right? So you actually, exactly. you take your value down an entire card when you gambler's yeah. gloves. Um, yeah. I was actually thinking about this card because like, oh, you can gambler's glove this. I was like, wait, but that doesn't actually achieve what you want it to yes. achieve. Unless yeah. you roll the six. This is the this is the Brian Gottlieb card that is. You remember when Brian came on the pod and he said we want to increase the ceiling while increasing, you know, de- decreasing the floor effectively. Like create the variance gap. This is the card. Like this is the card. You roll the six on this, 
you're laughing. You roll the one or the two in this, your opponent's laughing. You know what I mean? Like, but I'd love to see someone just rock up to the skirmish just with this stupid KO deck. They kill everyone on turn two. They roll six every time they roll the dice and, you know, they just walk away with their little prize. Yeah, what other headpieces are... Because we have some... We have another brute headpiece, I believe. The one that you spoiled, or you spoiled that last set. Uh, the flesh bag. Yeah, this, 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 this the, yeah, flesh, uh, scaling flesh bag. But there's also um, I was there's a couple about, of new ones as well. I was just thinking about temper. Um, you know, getting three value to this guaranteed. Temper's good. Yeah. yeah. I th- and limited, this is going to be a defend for three, and that's really powerful for oh, KO. Yeah, that um, um, but I just thought, you know, is there a way in a world where, like, potentially this card is just kind of insane and constructed because of the, <laughs> the fact you could have a six card hand? Seven card with an arsenal. Some of my favorite art in the game. That's cool. Uh, a couple other cards I want to talk about. Um, we've seen some generics. Here's a generic action attack at blue. Cost zero, defense for three, attacks for two. It's yeah, Majestic's called Nasty Surprise. And it says, when an opponent's effect puts us into your graveyard from anywhere, create an agility, might, and vigor token, all three. But the best part of this card is the flavor text, which says, I ain't reading no bloody warn. And then it gets cut off, last words of Busy the Brash. <laughs> I don't know, is this card playable? I'm trying uh. to think, like, what's the effects that are causing your opponent to... Put this in the graveyard from anywhere. Just discard effects, right? I guess. Yeah. Or mill effects with um Victor or whatever. I don't know. This card seems to me like it's going to be. I feel like we've seen this card before, and it's called, you know, rusted relic or whatever. Like it, you know, it feels like one of those cards that's in the set that you're going to open and be like, oh, man, annoyed I opened this in my booster. Yeah, watch for three. I mean, yeah. I don't know. I, I don't know if this is going to be good. There's it's too contextual. Okay. What about Pound Town, Brendan? Uh, this is a brute <laughs> action attack. I'm looking at the red. It's a common cycle. Um, at, at red, it defends for three, attacks for seven, costs three. It has beat chest, which if you know you haven't seen the beat chest mechanic is insane for brute. As an additional cost to play this, you may discard a card with six or more attack. And this card says, Pound Town says, when this attacks, if you've beaten chest this turn, create a might token. Uh, okay, this is... Last time we were talking about cards with beat chest and not having the probably the cost structure we might like. We've got a beat chest card that costs three here. There's also um, another one, Assault and Battery, and it's the exact same text, except that the beat chest, if you've beaten chest this turn, you create an agility token. Yeah. Um, I, I think these, these cards are cool. I think these cards are good. It's three, it's three card eight though, right? Um, well, or it's just two card seven. But if you get, the reason you're going to do this is if you get another, you want to, you want to compile your beat chest effects. You only have to beat, you only have to have discarded any card to get the beat chest effect. So either you discard for another reason. Um, sorry. So you, you beat chest on one thing and then you trigger everything else. Mm. You know, you don't have to beat chest on every single card. So that's what you want to do. You want to, you know, combine this with Bonebreaker, Bellow or whatever. Okay. Um, so yeah, if you've beaten chest prior to this, then this, yeah, this is two card eight. Yes. Correct. That's good, but jumping through yeah. hoops for two card eight is for sure. But otherwise, it's just a, a it's just a two card seven, and that's still good. Mine, I, think. I guess, yeah. Seems limited for limited, you know. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Seems totally playable limited. I feel like most like three for sevens you could play in limited yeah. would be good. Yeah, yeah I would take those. Um, let's look at commanding performance. I think this card's quite interesting. This is a warrior action at Majestic. It's red. Defense for three, cost one, and says your next warrior attack this turn gets plus three attack. Until end of turn, your warrior attacks get. When this is defended by one or more attack action cards, destroy a card in the defending hero's arsenal. So effectively, you play this, your next warrior attack, 
action or weapon gets plus three attack. And until the end of turn, all warrior attacks get when the attack is defended by one or more attack action cards, destroy a card in the hero's arsenal. So kind of C and C if they block with any attack action on any of your attacks for the turn. Uh, hmm. That's pretty good. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I just I echo what you say. about It seems good. It really does seem good. This warrior. Like it's a one for three, but if you get, ever get the arsenal card, ever, then that's a, you know, it's, a, it's close to a, a one for five, one for six kind of thing. And if they don't block because they want to keep their arsenal, then you're probably pushing through other on-hit effects and you're getting more than a, a, a two-card, you know, or a one-for-three value off this. So I, I think this card is maybe a bit more niche than it looks, but I think this card is good. It is powerful. Um, and paired with the right sort of builds, I think in Constructor, this can be quite powerful. Mm-hmm. We've also seen some attack actions, which, you know, as we get into Limited next week and we talk about the set review, I think there's going to be some discussion on how good a warrior attack actions um some of them look like they're they've got hoops to jump through as brendan likes to say vigorous engagement is one that we've just seen it's a common cycle uh, of warrior attack reactions it defends for two and i'm looking at the red they all cost one it says target warrior attack it's plus three attack if it's defended by an attack action card create a vigor token i mean so it's a one you know one resource three power reaction reactions seem good in the set but also if there's an attack blocking it you get a vigor token like so you get your resource back i mean this is pretty good yeah i guess it doesn't have like uh it's kind of like a reprise like it's kind of like a prize because it has to be defended by something in order to get the uh the token um yeah, yeah it doesn't seem very const- like I, I i've been always consistently evaluating these things in constructed i think it's going to be good and limited mm-hmm. like these kind of yes. these kind of effects are just good and limited uh most of the time but constructed not so yeah it seems underwhelming compared to like ironside response for me yeah, there's a lot of like cards that i think yeah uh let's talk about down but not out this is a rare uh so far we've just seen the rare so i, I assume this is gonna be a cycle but i have only seen the red one so far so it's a rare um down we're looking at the red one Cost three, attacks for five, defense for three, which I think is relevant. It says, when this attacks a hero, if you have less life and control fewer equipment and tokens than them, this gets plus three overpower. And when this hits, create an agility, might, and vigor token. I mean, this seems like quite yeah, a good actually end a good game card. card. Yeah, that's just <laughs> This like reminds me of like, card. yeah, quite, yeah, I think this card, at defense for three as well. And if this is a cycle, like this is one where like the yellow is, you know, we're talking about the power trade off before. The yellow still has a, you know, a break point. It still seems pretty good. Um, I would be surprised if this card has a cycle, to be honest. Yeah, I can't see. I'm looking at the... We've just pulled these um, previews from from the Discord channel to go through, so I'm not even sure if this is loaded into Fabry yet. Um, But yeah, I mean, this this card seems really good, I think. This this is a first pickable card in Limited, I think. No, I think this card is really powerful. Um, It's generic. What the (laughs) fuck? (laughs) <laughs> it's generic yeah it's not even like a class hybrid or anything it's just generic what uh, so i'm yeah i'm excited about this card i think it's you know i think obviously early in the game like do i want to be playing a two card five probably not but you know maybe i just defend with it and maybe i do play it but late in the game and i, I do draw this to be able to finish off with you know an eight power that then also gets me all these effects that i can use next turn i mean that seems 
This card is nuts. Um, so the main thing that you're worried about is actually fewer equipment, I feel like, because less life is you can easily manipulate. I mean, equipment yeah, you can yeah. technically manipulate, but manipulate to your detriment. Um, you need tokens. to have a token as well. It's so, so funny. It's like in Icelander, this would have been like the best card ever printed because you give them a, a frost. Like you can give them frostbites <laughs> and they so have funny. the token. And then now you can make this like this is an insane attack action. And I guess Do you think this has constructed implications in, or is it just limited? Because like, this looks like a limited all-star to me. Yeah, I mean, I would think I would play this in Iceland. I'm just trying to think of it. So you have to main phase, or in some time, they have to have the, the Frostbite token during your turn, um, right? Yeah. Frostbites break at the end of your opponent's turn. So it does mean that it has to be played with something, because that Frostbite needs to be created by you on that turn. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I'm talking like Living Legend format here. <laughs> um, but... Yeah, I mean, in terms of the equipment, you know, Icelander does have a pretty throwaway equipment in terms of like the Iron Rot Gauntlet. So you could block with that a little bit early, then have equipment asymmetry, and then you're playing a two card nine, <laughs> like a lot, a lot of the time. Yeah. That's nuts. I It is a cycle, by the so way. It's I've not, just it's not the, two card nine, it's two card 11. Yeah, I've just checked that it does have a cycle. Um, just looking at the set numbers. So yeah, this card's really good. Also, the art on this card is sick yeah it's, <laughs> it's all low res right here but uh yeah, yeah go go look at it on fabry looks great uh two more cards i want to talk about um there's a majestic that's interesting let's let's leave that uh when we talk about constructed let's talk about um what do i want to talk about let's talk about this a guardian it's prime to fight it's a guardian attack action at majestic so it's a red it attacks for nine defense for three and says if you control a vigor token this costs one less to pay and if you've control, if you control, if you've controlled a might token this turn, this gets plus one. So oh, even if they go. blew up in the start of turn, so let's just say you had a, a vigor token, this would be a two card nine because you get the plus one resource plus this costs one less. So it costs four, and you have a resource. Mm -hmm. You pitch your blue. You're coming in for a two card nine. That's pretty insane. Uh, if you've got a might token, then you're coming in with an extra plus one on your might token. So this would be coming in for eleven. So imagine if you, you know. Blue sky, you have the vigor token and the the might token. You start your turn, you get to one card or uh, two card eleven. I mean, that's pretty powerful. I think more likely you're gonna get one of these effects, but either of those effects is pretty good. Otherwise, this is on rate damage wise for a guardian red that costs five. So I, you know, no one had effect obviously, but you get these this modality of being able to like potentially get some extra effects on this. I, I think this this card's good. Yeah, seems good. I mean, it's mostly contextual on jumping through the hoops. Is how the I think you need to be satisfying those clauses because you'd rather play. Um, it's the derivative card of this that has the unhit trigger. Um, if you're not mm -hmm. able to consistently do that, yeah. Otherwise, it's just it's just vanilla and that's yeah. bad. So you want to hit at one at least one of these effects. Yeah. But it has a chance to be very, very, very strong. It's like you said. Yeah, yeah. It's nuts. Yeah, I like this card a lot. All right, let's uh, let's do one more. And I think let's talk about the Clash of Agility slash Clash of Might. I think these cards are interesting for limited. So uh, let's look at Clash of Agility. It's a rare at red attacks for six, defense three. It's a brute slash warrior attack action. Uh, it says when this defends, clash with the attacking hero. The winner creates an agility token. And then Clash of Might is a brute slash guardian attack action. And it's the same stats, except it says when this defends, clash with an attacking hero. The winner creates a might token. These cards seem really good, like two costs attacks for six that defend for three and then they also have this modality effect of when you defend with it so when you trade it in for three defensive value you get to clash for an agility or might token i think you know in the right decks this seems really powerful yeah i don't know if it seems like busted um to be no, honest it's not busted it's just really yeah. good limited though uh and i think you want to be winning that clash every time which like yeah don't defend with that otherwise yeah sounds <laughs> it sounds obvious but um 
yeah, I you know, if you have that asymmetry because you're playing a guardian, your opponent's playing a warrior, and you're going to be winning that clash, then I think it's a powerful card. Uh, but I don't think it's insane. What I like about the card is that it's a, it's dual class, so this is like a really good potential early pick to stay open. And how relevant mm-hmm. that will be, we'll see. I hope very relevant. <laughs> so I want to tie up with just kind of the the comments around Welcome to Wraith 2.0 and kind of what I'm seeing. I think really for me, it comes down to a lot about the limited play and it looks like the deck building and kind of the actual draft, the draft portion of Welcome to Wraith, I think has the most archetypes in it of any set so far and has this ability for you to stay open with because the generic's really powerful in that set and find your way into a particular archetype or class towards the end of pack one now they do have 15 card packs we're only at 14 card packs still but i think what my some of my comparisons are is the fact that we have the all three wedges so we mm-hmm. have the brute warrior the warrior guardian the brute guardian wedges these are kind of servicing some of the same power level as the um the generics that went into maybe two or three of the heroes from welcome to wraith but you get to so you are staying open plus you actually have some powerful generics in the set as well and then on top of that i think you have some some of the things like the weapons and stuff that that drive archetypes. So I think there's a lot of like, I'm seeing similarity between what I think this limited format might be. My concern is the the fact that you're going to want to draft some weapons and equipment because they're so powerful, but we're at 14 card packs. Um, I'm interested to see what that means, but I'm hopeful that, you know, just because of the cards in the set, the wedges, the some ability to stay open, the 14 card packs actually finally shine with the set, I think. And then from a constructor standpoint, Brennan, just quickly, I think, the kind of comparatives and I'm seeing is just some, I think there's some really interesting cards that could be staples in here mm-hmm. in terms of what they do for these particular classes. Um, and there's new ways to play, which I felt a lot of the time we've had like iterations on ways to play. Like a mechanic like beat chest feels like a really new way to play. Some of these equipment look like they're, they remind me of some of the crucible of war equipment a little bit as well, which, you know, while contract always been the first set introduced some equipment that made you play in a particular way let's take tectonic plating for instance tectonic plating was the basis of how you played bravo for so long um yeah i don't know i just this this i'm seeing some resemblances and i, I like it i've really enjoyed what we've seen so far of the set i'm super excited for, for heavy hitters i'm just excited for this weekend okay yeah i'm keen i mean i honestly think that before we should we do limited review um you and i should hop on a online emulator and play some gauntlet decks because you're gonna have a lot a lot of context i mean Sure. Actually playing yeah. actually playing the set is so important to um because I, I just every single time we've done a limited set, we have our thoughts, you know, we're hundred percent correct every time. But then I t- I finally touched I finally touched the set and I'm like, why did I think some of those stupid things that I said there? No, you realize you're hundred and ten percent correct. Yeah, hundred and ten percent correct. It just it just doubled down and I'm like, okay. Um so yeah, I'm I'm keen to hear how it goes and good luck in the calling. Hopefully it's a good sealed format because yeah, I mean that's just part of that's part of the deal when you play limited calling. You just gotta get through the sealed portion. You you had a really good sealed run at Barcelona though, so uh, you. <laughs> I've never if I I've only played two sealed callings and I've missed day two. Those are my two events I've ever missed day two on, and yeah. the two sealed events. Yeah, that's what I gave the listeners a little nugget as well. I was actually talking to my girlfriend about this, but the f- the best part and the funniest part about being a content creator. Specifically, when it's not happening to you, is when you when someone, if it's you or if it's your friend, like How's in your this case, going? Hayden, yeah, when you do really bad at a tournament, like really shit, so you're like oh two, oh three, everybody comes up and the first thing they say is, "How's it going?" And you're like, yeah. "Oh fuck!" And then you say like, you, you know, you say you're like oh two, oh three, and good, they're thank like, you. <laughs> but, then, but the next thing that happens is like, 
Oh, what happened? Why? <laughs> and then you got to just go through this perpetual uh, explanation, you know, and this happens multiple times. Like it could be happening like every five minutes, every 10 minutes, every 30 minutes. You have to explain why you are so bad at the game. Uh, I just throw my dick at Barcelona. I just threw my dick at people and was like, here. And just people looking at, okay, got it. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah. Oh, man. Because I went up the hate. I, st- I was went up the hate multiple times during that, that sealed portion. I'd stand next to him and I'd, I'd watch him experience that. I feel like, oh, what, you're 03? Why, bro? What happened? <laughs> uh, this is a first time for everything. That's all right. That's my first experience <laughs> of that. Uh, but I but I learned from a master watching Brendan have to explain it. So it's, it's fine. <laughs> yeah i just go you know sometimes it's like that sometimes it's like that i just remembered i did win a seal calling so my seal callings haven't all been terrible but you know it could be better well we'll see this weekend um i did have one thing to say and i forgot what it is so i don't know i i'm pumped i'm pumped i i want to play some sealed and i will play a good seal format so fingers crossed yeah so knock on wood i want to play a good pre-release format you know it sounds kind of weird but um i thought that I thought Bright Light Seal was really bad. Um, I thought, yeah, I think it's the worst. Yeah, pre-release was <laughs> Arcane Rising has uh, has has a word wants a word with you um, for worst seal. They're 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 comparable. Yeah, um, but yeah, I would like to play a fun pre-release. Like I, I really did not enjoy the the sealed format in uh, Bright mm-hmm. Lights. Even like day one, touching the set, I was like, I played the first game and I was like, holy crap! Um, but I hope for a good sealed format. I hope we can get away from the and i don't know if it's possible but the 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 pile decks and the the very very grindy kind of attrition based sealed formats which i think i don't think that they're objectively bad um i think they're fun in their own right they're fun at a high competitive level i like i like outsiders yeah outsiders for pre-release they make me want to punch myself in the face like i'm yeah not great yeah (laughs) uh make sure to watch some coverage this weekend brennan that's how you can Get some insight into the format before limited review as well. So. True, 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 true. And for those listening, make sure, yeah, tune in. So this will drop on Friday. This will be basically when this drops, uh, the premiere event will be about to kick off. So you can check out coverage for that. And then, of course, the calling for the weekend. But otherwise, Brendan, why don't you take us out? Yep. Yeah, well, if you listen to this podcast and you enjoy it, the number one thing you can do is leak us the entire set because you're at the celebration before it. No, I'm joking. I'm joking. Uh, you can leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. It helps so, so, so much. There's a video version of this on YouTube at youtube.com slash Arsenal Pass, both on Twitter, Brendan APG, Fiona underscore Dale. Big thank you to all the Arsenal Pass patrons. Like I said, we're, we're starting to ramp up for PTLA, the first pro tour of 2024. So expect those deck techs coming. I will be playing playing Hayden will be playing team PCG pass will be playing hopefully we can get Sasha's brain in there and then yeah I think we're queued up I mean we're getting ready for I think a good performance this time Barcelona wasn't wasn't the highlight of PCG pass no it wasn't prepared it's fine yeah. I'm gonna be prepared for PTLA I'm, I'm gonna do well yeah I'm calling it. We're, um, we're set up to do pretty well so we appreciate you all thank you so much for listening we'll see you next week 